Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman. This is part of the AECOM Ohio University Sports Administration Series, Life After Court Street. Uh, I'm joined by my co-host and Andy Dolich and our special co-host of the series, Lorda Waters-Brown. But more importantly, joined by our two guests today and Monica LeBron of Tulane University and Kristen Brown of Texas A&M, both deputy ADs, um, more titles than we can probably name for the length of this podcast. Uh, I will not mention that Monica is also a doctor, I think as far as I know. Um, and we'll get into their different journeys and paths into not only college athletics, um, leading uh, a college athletic department uh, as a woman in the industry and the many different um, complexities of college athletics being at the conference office, a different school, um, they've represented many, many of the conferences. I think, if I'm not mistaken, the Big 12 and the ACC uh, are not represented, but many of the others are. And so without further ado, we'll get into it. Um, Monica, we'll start with you. Gotta, you got to break the ice a little bit. So just a quick fun fact about you uh, that our listeners wouldn't know. Okay, well, uh, again, thank you guys for having me. So happy to be here. Uh, my fun fact, I auditioned for American Idol. So in 2004, I was working at the University of Florida. Um, I literally took two days off of work to drive down to Orlando. I, I sat in line for 31 hours for what, for what was a very quick 31 seconds. Uh, a thanks, but no thanks. And then Carrie Underwood went on to win the whole thing. So you know, I thought I could compete, but uh, instead I'm, I'm trying to be an athletic director. So it's worked out so far. So what was it? Tell us what it was. Can you sing it? Can you dance it? Are we coming back at another episode? Yes. Never had, yeah, uh, we might have to do some never had a contestant, have we? No, no, we've never had a so contestant. I just want to know. What's that fun fact? Yeah. Does uh, are you the backup national anthem singer when they? Uh, hey, if I have to, out of school? jack of all trades, other uh -oh. duties is assigned. <laughs> uh oh, marketing department. I sang Mary J. Blige's "Sweet Thing." Uh, again, wow. it, was, it was a lot. I, we were in line for a long time, uh, and then it was a quick thirty-one seconds. Thanks, but no thanks. But uh, I live to tell about it. So here I am. Wow, that's next time awesome. I see you, you're gonna have to sing that in person, Monica. Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right, I'll do it. Great song choice. Can you top that? The song choice. What's that, Jake? Can you top that, Kristen? What's what's the fun fact? <laughs> I really can't. Um, my fun <laughs> fact is actually boring. Uh, it was going to be that um, I moved in the middle of a global pandemic and COVID, but I mean, I can't top being on American Idol. <laughs> you know. Well, I, I didn't get to meet Randy, Paula, and Simon, but uh, but it was a fun memory for sure. <laughs> Andy, you have a fun fact for us? Uh, yes, um, I went to college to get a degree in government and international politics, and then I went into sports. <laughs> so don't waste your time in government and politics, go into sports. Laura? I have no fun facts. I'm not, I don't, I have, let's see. Um, Come on, that's not true. A uh, fun fact for me would have to be that my dog will only walk one way on our walks. He will not go another route. Out into the right, to the right, through the neighborhood and back. That is it. No more. Two what point type of dog and what's his name or her name? His name is Easy and he is a lab monster mix. Yep. E hyphen Z. Not after Easy E. Not right. that guy. Uh, just easy, like Sunday morning. Although he is not, he's very psychotic right. and very just. That's my. That would be my. I can only take my dog on a walk to the right. I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna take your fun fact and lead into the next portion where. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. where's your fun fact? You don't get hey, to just go through yeah, all this and not give hey, your fun fact. What is your has fact to look here? for the nice transitions, right? So, <laughs> Monica, Kristen, your paths were not easy. Um, but to get to kind of where you are, uh, the many different roles that you've had to um, work through and get to work through, whether it be fundraising, student athlete development, et cetera, um, talk a little bit about just in a quick GPS of 
the different experiences that have helped you get to be a deputy athletic director? Monica? So my entire career was fundraising and development until really I got here to Tulane. So um, as quickly as I could possibly go after undergrad, I went straight to grad school at Ohio University, uh, worked in development there as a GA. Um, my, my one year off was a, a governance intern at the NCAA, but then I went to the University of Florida, worked for four and a half years in development. Uh, it was more fundraising and event-based fundraising, but fundraising all the way. Then went to Cal, uh, was a major gift fundraiser for four years, uh, oversaw major gift fundraising at Ole Miss, uh, oversaw all of development and fundraising at the University of Georgia. And then I got here um, and this was my first soiree into overseeing sports. And really, again, doing a little bit of everything. I oversee all the day-to-day -day operations. Um, I, I oversee four of our sports, um, oversee the entire external side of the house. So I literally, everything that comes through this department falls on my plate in some form or fashion. Um, so I absolutely loved my time in development, um, but it, it, was, it was external facing. Um, and and I, while I loved that, I think what I love most about the last four and a half years is that um, one, I do get a ton of interaction with the student athletes, which is ultimately why I got into this business in the first place. Uh, but then I still get the little piece of development here and there, whether it's, you know, just talking to our donors and season ticket holders at the game or, um, or pre-COVID and hopefully post-COVID when some of our donors travel with us on the road. But um, yeah, I, I've, I've loved my four and a half years here and the variety that comes with being a deputy. You mentioned the one uh, follow-up point, and I, I'm a serial interrupter, which Jake knows. Um, it's called SI, serial interrupter. Um, you've been all around the country, and as we've talked to a number of leaders in this business, many people look at individuals who have these type of jobs, how glamorous, how wonderful, how terrific, and, and it is. But when you think about you know, raising a family, being with a partner, living your life and moving from place to place to place, and same thing for you, Kristen and, and Laura, um, your insight into making these decisions to go from different parts of the country, different environments, uh, different lifestyles, how you make decisions to do that, because people don't necessarily always think about that. They just look at your business card or wherever you are and go, well, cool, no problem. Yeah. Well, just me personally, I, I, I sort of made that commitment that I was willing to do that. I, I, I grew up in San Jose, California and went 3000 miles away to play softball at Yale University. So from the bat, from the get-go, I was willing to- From the back, wow, that was, <laughs> right see Laura, that was really well done. Uh, I, was, I was willing to move and, and, and I just kept hearing that, hey, if you're willing to move, you're more likely to move up more qu quickly. But I also remind, especially young people when they ask me, you know, do I have to move? I very quickly remind them, you don't have to do anything. Just be true to who you are because you know, you might move and take a job in Maine because that's what someone thinks you should do or what you're supposed to do. If you're going to be miserable there because you're not near your nieces and nephews or mom and dad, you're not going to be productive anyway. So what was the point in going all the way there to advance your career when you're not, we're not even getting the best you you can be. So you have to be true to, you are, to who you are. I can be away from my family. My family have, has always said, we'll come visit you wherever you live. And they've, they've stayed true to that. So I've been willing to move. And as a result, I have been able to um, climb the, the ranks. Um, but there, there is a level of sacrifice too. I'm not married. I don't have kids. Some might argue if I had been stationary, I might be. But I, I've always followed my dream in the career space. And, and I don't regret it for a second. So that's Kristen, just you, Kristen, you've got a double question. You've got my first one plus Andy's. I know I'm going to try to remember all of these questions here. Um, so my path, um, I started in conference office world, um, got my start as an intern at the Big Ten office. Um, and that was really my first kind of look into college athletics, really enjoyed it. I was working on the championship side of things, had an opportunity to move into women's basketball. Um, and then for the back half of my time at the Big Ten, had a dual role of both women's basketball operations and Olympic sport championships. 
um, left college athletics for a year to support the guy that I was dating at the time, which we won't talk about that. Um, and then got back in um, at the Big East office. So again, conference office life, um, working with Olympic sports, sport administration, championships, working with coaches. Um, at some point in my path, I realized that I wanted to be on campus at an institution, exactly what Monica was talking about, that relationship and that ability to connect and help student athletes grow and mentor them and all of those things. Um, I knew that that's what I wanted to do was just kind of waiting for that right time, right opportunity, right place. Um, so three years at the Big East, a year at the American Athletic Conference which was really just changing the signage on the door. Um, if you recall, when the Big East split in half, New Big East went one way, we went the other way, became the American. Um, so was in that role for a year um, in a men's basketball specific role. And after being in that for a year, the opportunity at Maryland opened up and just kind of knew that that was the job, that was the, the position, that was um, the part of the country, all those things that I was kind of looking for, I knew that was it. Um, Tim McMurray, who is another OU grad, was on staff at Maryland at the time. I reached out to him. I was like, hey, is this job really open? Because we know sometimes jobs really aren't open when they're posted. Um, he said it was 100% open. He helped to make sure that my resume got to the right place. Um, and the rest is history. Was there in a, a sport administration role. Um, had as few as five sports and as many as eight sports during my five and a half years there. Um, added championships, added community engagement, added a little bit of diversity and inclusion. Um, loved it there, was super happy there, was not even looking at leaving. And then all of a sudden Texas A&M happened. Um, and it's funny because, you know, when you think about next steps or when I thought about next steps, um, you know, I wanted to eventually over, oversee a unit, oversee more people than just coaches and sport programs. Um, so that's kind of what I was looking for. And when I saw the opportunity at AM, it checked all the boxes. And as I was pursuing them, little did I know they were also pursuing me. Um, so it was one of those things that just kind of worked out. And here I am 10 months later, um, adjusting to life in the state of Texas, um, which is unique and different, especially coming from Maryland and the East Coast the last six years, um, but absolutely loving it. And to Andy, to answer your question in terms of moving and to Monica's point, you know, you have to be willing to, to move, to, to move up in this industry for, for some people. Um, you have the, the good fortune of kind of working your way up at one place, but for, I think for the majority of us, you've got to have that willingness to move. And for me, um, I've been single for the majority of my, my professional career outside of that one stint. Um, so I've been able to be selfish and I've been able to, to make moves that I felt were, were best for me in my career. Um, I've always looked for a few different things to, to be in alignment. One, does the job, is it in alignment with what I kind of envision as my next step? Um, two, am I working with and for good people? Um, if I'm not, then that's a, a good indication that it's not a place that I wanna be. Um, and then really it goes back to, I'm a person of faith and so I pray about it. And if my, my gut and my, my intuition is saying it's the right opportunity, then, then that's what makes it the right opportunity for me. I would just say to those that are viewing this at OU, um, it just hit me that you guys should try to craft a marketing relationship with Beacons, the national mover, because if you just totaled up all the miles that everyone who graduated from OU moved in their life and how much freaking money Beacons and other people made, holy mackerel, that would be a great campaign, much better than a lot of the other drivel that we see on TV. Uh, yeah, uh, speaking is also somebody who's moved like five times, I would welcome that partnership on the ASAP. So let's get that going. I think I've had, I think I've had seven moves in seven yeah. years, something like that, Laura. So I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. Moving is, is a thing. And I'm now to the point where I just, I say, you know, Hey, I just want to sip a mimosa. Uh, you do all the things and <laughs> I'll see you on the other side. Like I, I, I want no parts of it. I want no parts of it. Same. Um, there are certain things that I will pack, but then everything else, movers, please take care of it. Take care of it. Like, let me just, I'll sit on the, on the couch, very coming to America-like. America Somebody can feed me strawberries. We'll keep it moving. That's another part, <laughs> right, guys? That's another part of the glamour of sports that nobody ever talks about. Moving. Bro, moving quickly. What, you get what did you break? What did you break? Oh, God. That's not good. That, that wasn't a one-of-a-kind experience or a one-of-a-kind memento from some time that will never happen again. It's okay. It's okay. 
It's all right. It's all right. <laughs> now, both of you, uh, both of you were college athletes, correct? Monica, softball, and then Kristen with basketball. How was or how has being on the athlete side helped you or, you know, adjusted your visual or how you kind of perceive things now that you're on the quote unquote business side of things? Yeah, I think that, well, one, as an athlete, I think I experienced every good and bad that you can experience as an athlete, whether it's being injured, whether it's being in the doghouse, being a starter. So it really helps you empathize with your student athletes and everything that they're going through. Um, but also um, it helps to give them an appreciation for everything or helps me to have an appreciation also for everything um, that they're going through um, as student athletes. Yeah, and I, I love being able to stand in front of our student athletes at the beginning of every season and, and reminding them that, hey, I played a division one sport at a place like Yale where academics matter. And oh, by the way, you also wanna have fun. You wanna, you wanna enjoy your college experience. So I've been in your shoes. You know, Tulane is a very challenging academic um, institution and, and they're trying to balance being division one student athletes with that academic that strain and and again also trying to have fun and enjoying your experience so to be able to stand in front of them and say I was once there too and I'm proof that you can survive this <laughs> you're you're here because we believe you can survive it we wouldn't have put you in this situation if we didn't think you could survive it so just just reminding them that I've walked in your shoes I know what it's like it's going to be hard it's not going to be easy um and and some days you'll have to pick up your teammate, but other days let them pick you up. And so just, again, that familiarity with what they're going through, I, I hope helps them. Monica, we, we had a, an episode with Jesse Giordano and, and Lindsay LeBennett where they were talking about how they couldn't necessarily see themselves in the positions they are in today because there wasn't someone there to look up to or, or try and strive to be. Can you talk a little bit about maybe how you approach things differently or knowing what position you have and, and how that might influence or impact others that are trying to, you know, do what you're, what you've already done and continuing to do. Yeah. You know, again, I, I remind the student athletes that my door is always open and my phone's always on. And it's, it's hard for me to grasp the concept that, that they're intimidated by anything I say or do, because I, I don't ever want someone to be intimidated by me or my position or my level. So I, it takes time though for 18 to 22 year olds to trust you and, and to believe that you're safe. And, and me, because they see me as like the principal, they don't wanna to go to the principal's office. They, they don't wanna be in trouble. Um, and so how do you gain that trust? You go to their practice, you travel with them. Again, non-COVID uh, times, you, you go on the road with them. They're, they're more willing to let down their guard when they're on the road, when you're sitting next to them at dinner, when you're asking about, hey, what are you doing this summer for internships? Hey, why don't you come see me in the office Monday? I'll help you know, talk you through what you should be looking for. Um, but just finding that, um, that level of trust and earning that level of trust with them uh, so that they can also realize, wow, I, I didn't even know this was a job or a career. Maybe this is the path I wanna go. And, um, and I've, I have, firsthand experience with student athletes who that's how it happened that that organically is how it played out and now they're in the industry and and I get to watch them grow so um yeah I love that I can set that example for for our student athletes Kristen any other added, added thoughts to that one I'm just gonna say I was lucky as a as a student athlete I had a female athletic director um, so not necessarily when I was in that 18 to 22 year old range that I know that I, that's what I wanted to do. Um, but I've had that example from a very, very early on um, age. And I think maybe naively, I thought that that was everybody's experience until then I got into the, the admin side of things. And I was like, oh, you mean less than 5% of us are athletic directors, um, especially minority women. Um, so yeah, I've, I've been fortunate to, to have that model from the very beginning and um, hopefully try to be what my AD was to me, um, to my student athletes now. Andy, I'll, I'll throw it to you because you have the, uh, how can I be president if I'm not president story, which I would think applies to the AD, AD side of things as well now. Yeah, although um, one of the areas, and I was lucky enough to meet Monica many years ago um, at 
the University of California in Berkeley. Um, and essentially, um, you're looking at your future and what you want to be and trying to figure that out, but it really matters who your mentors are. And those mentors need to be truth tellers. There are many mentors, oh, you're terrific, you're wonderful, all that. Yeah, that's swell. I want somebody who is absolutely going to give me the truth. And I know like when I first developed a friendship with Laura Waters Brown, I knew within 30 seconds, she was a truth teller, boom, right there. And you know, if you fell out, that was your problem, correct? I mean- uh, Very much so. Mm -hmm. And I think that's sort of how, how it works. Um, the, the circumstance of college to me is so much more complicated. I had two and a half years with IMG College before they went through their different uh, focus when they were purchased. But what I saw is the complexity of college. When you're in the pros, you're working for a billionaire or a group of billionaires who own the team. Um, business, team side ownership. When you're in college, and I think, Monica, I've shared this with you. I know I've shared it with Laura and Jake. There's a massive circle. You're dealing with the athletic department, the president of the university, the conference, each coach, a coach that might be a big deal in basketball and football that has a marketing agreement with a shoe company. You're dealing with the boosters. You're dealing with the students. You're dealing with alumni. And you could go on and on and on. If it's a Cal situation, you're literally dealing with a state legislature, a state legislature that people don't think about. If it's a private institution, a bit different. Where the pros, you might have three points of involvement in college, you have 20 plus. And to me, if you don't know that and understand it, um, it can be very frustrating and you have to have the agility and nimble nature to be able to deal with every one of those constituencies because they're not necessarily all talking to each other in the same language. And let's just take a, a simple example. You have the PAC-12, Larry Scott, who I've known for a long time announced that he's leaving, there's a mutual parting. And there, there's many names that have been put out as who the successor might be, uh, who he or she might be, and think about the decision-making that now the presidents have to make of those institutions and other influencers uh, when they get down to their, their finalists. That's gonna be a story well worth being told. Monica, what's the biggest challenge in terms of leading within those different constituencies that Andy talked about, right? Because sometimes you know when to kind of butt in and say the right thing, or you kind of have to take that seat back and just listen. You don't want to, you know, sometimes you got glass underneath your feet, right? Yeah, you know, no matter what you do in life, I believe it's about the relationships. Honestly, it, that's if you're a coach and you're trying to recruit a student athlete, that's if you're an AD and you're trying to talk to the folks across campus and the donors and, you know, the season ticket holder that, that is super loyal, but doesn't give a penny other than their, their season tickets. It's, it's the folks locally in the community. Um, if, if you can build and nurture relationships, I think you're going to be successful in anything you do. Um, so really that that's what it comes down to. And that's, what I've tried to do my whole life, but certainly my whole career as well, is, is just nurture relationships. As it relates to the donor, it's, um, it, it can never be about you. It has to be about them and, and what they're passionate about. Now, ultimately you want them to give back to something that you're working on, whether it's you know a facility or, or scholarships or what have you. But, but if, you, if you focus on them and what matters to them, you're going to be able to find what it is that they're passionate about and how it links back to how it can help you. But you have to pay attention, which means you have to care about someone other than yourself 
it has to be about that, that relationship and nurturing it. And I would say for, for me, um, at a place like A&M and as big as A&M is, it's just knowing who those people are that you need to develop those relationships with. Um, whether that's the Board of Regents, the Board of Trustees, the Chancellor's Office, the Systems Office, um, then the 12th Man Foundation, which our, our development end is a completely different um, organization or association. Um, so just having an understanding of who the players are, who the people that you need to know are, and then helping get all of those people together on the same page. And you have five very social people on this call. So the the message to all the students is if you think your network is big enough, it never is. It never, ever is. Um, and you never know how your network is going to grow. As Kristen just said, you can identify those people, but when you might be going out for coffee or a walk, you don't know that that person uh, might be running a major corporation or might be a thorn in your side. And that's an opportunity to, to grow your network. Um, you don't wanna be bang at the moon, but talking to individuals and being social help grow a network and, and the fuel of that really makes your career successful. And I think too, Andy, one of the lessons that you know, you've, you hark on and, and hark on, excuse me, and, and talk about all the time is those um, authentic relationships and building relationships and networking you know, to be in, con in connection with somebody else, not because you want something or because you need something, right? I think one of the, the things that uh, Jake and I mentioned to one of the classes we were talking about talking to earlier was don't ever let your first thing or your first conversation be what I can do for you or what you need from me. Like, don't ask me for anything. I don't know who you are. And thus, those of us that are truth tellers, me, <laughs> I'm gonna tell you, like, I don't know you. Who, what do you want from me? Um, like, get to know me. And then when I think of you, then it's a natural, organic, and genuine um, relationship and conversation. And you're gonna go a lot further rather than somebody just saying, hey, look, I went to school with this person, um, or they went to the same school that I went to. I'm literally passing this along for the sake because I said in the email that I'm passing it along. Like it is, hey, I'm walking this resume and putting it on somebody's desk and saying, this is who you need to hire, like put them at the top of the list. So I think that is such a such great advice for the, the OU students. And then kind of along those same lines, I, I think we would be remiss to say that we are all in a state of the world that no one could have ever imagined. And both of you being leaders in a space that was greatly affected by the pandemic, um, college athletes, I mean, you're, you're not dealing with traditional adults, right? They're adults legally, but these are somebody else's kids uh, during a pandemic. What are some lessons you've learned um, about being a leader during the pandemic? Yeah, I can start since Monica started and done the last ones. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily something that I learned, but just listening in order to lead, you've got to be able to listen, listen to your staff, listen to your student athletes, how they're feeling, what they're thinking. Um, you've got to be able to, to listen. Um, you've also got to be able to serve. I mean, at the end of the day, we're here to serve our, our student athletes. We're here to serve our donors. We're here to serve our staff. Um, so those are probably the two biggest things that I learned out of this. And then also we've got more time to make decisions um, than we think. Um, and that's one of the things that I appreciate the most about my AD, Ross Bjork, um, in that he's somebody who's, he just consumes a ton of information. Um, he's going to do his homework. He's gonna be um, very strategic and methodical about his decision-making process. Um, and then when he does make a decision, um, we're gonna go forward with that. Um, but he's definitely someone who's gonna listen, he's gonna learn, and he's gonna serve others in the process. I'd say, and, and I think I've, I've always been this person, I'm, I'm honest, maybe even to a fault, um, but be 100% transparent, especially in a pandemic, just be transparent, even if it's to say, I don't know, it's okay to not know everything. I, it's okay to be vulnerable and say, I don't know the answer, but I promise you, I'm gonna do everything in my power to find it out and circle back with you. So just being open and honest and transparent 
Uh, one thing I did learn uh, through all of this is that young people, at least 18 to 22 year olds, just assume you know everything because you're older. <laughs> I'm not a doctor. Well, okay, I am a doctor, but I'm not a medically trained doctor. So I don't know anything about pandemics or what you know solves issues as it relates to pandemics. They just assume you know, and I don't. <laughs> and so um, I learned that as I, as I went along that when you do have a conversation with them, um, if you don't have all the answers, they're gonna walk away thinking you are hiding something from them. So um, trying to be more prepared when I do face them, um, maybe bringing a, a medical doctor with me <laughs> that can answer some of the questions. Um, so yeah, just being open and honest all the time. That shouldn't be in a pandemic. That should just be all the time. Yeah, and we've we've talked about it before and the three of you are, are definitely individuals that I think, you know, look at this is get comfortable being uncomfortable. Because right? a lot of young people like, I am so cool, or whatever word they're using to chill, or whatever it might be. It's like, yes, you are, and you know this much, but that's okay. You know, tell me about your mistakes. Tell me where you fell on your face. Tell me where you struck out eight straight times in softball, which is impossible. Or, uh, hey, Kristen, you're 0 for 19 from three land. What's, what's going on? Don't be afraid to fail because that will be a path to success, back to the agility and nimbleness. I said, I don't wanna make a mistake. Well, look at our world today. Holy crap, <laughs> there's a few mistakes being made. So don't be afraid of it. Chris and Monica, it's, people will look at where you are, you know, deputy ADs at, at big time schools and they're like, oh, they, they had it easy getting there. They got this job to this job to this job. But at one point or another, you had to have failed somewhere. You, you had to have failed somewhere, learned a, a valuable lesson, made a mistake. What's something that if people were to just look at your resume or your LinkedIn that they wouldn't see that, that maybe drives you internally uh, on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, I, I kind of hit on it, but it was the relationship um, and the failure of that um, relationship. So I left athletics, um, which it was the right decision to make at the time. Um, and then when that fell apart, um, that has driven me every day since um, to, to be the best that I can be. Um, you know, if I was going to give it up, you know, for, for a person in a, a relationship before, well, I'm going to make sure that um, now that I'm back in it, that I'm going to get to wherever it is that, that I ultimately want to be. But that, the end of that relationship is what has fueled me, probably given it more life than I should have, to be quite honest at this point, 10 years later. Um, but it certainly has been something that has fueled my, my drive ever since. So I, I like to go back to when I was at the University of Florida, I had been there, um, I ended up being there four and a half years, but uh, I went for a, a major gift fundraising position at Penn State. Uh, and, and it came down to me and actually another OU graduate, someone who was a year older than me, um, who hosted me on my interview. Um, I, I'll, I'll leave the name out, um, but you guys could probably do your research. But he ended up getting the job and I didn't. Um, and even though, you know, he had a year on me and that made sense and he had more experience, um, I had never really truly failed like truly failed. And that's what I called it. I, I failed. I didn't get the job. I'm a big fat failure. You know, I'm a loser. I, I got to quit the business. I'm never going to make it in life. Um, and so I didn't get the job. And so I'm at, I'm at the university of Florida. Um, but then fast forward, and then this includes Ross Bjork. He was at UCLA. Um, I, we met at NACTA. Um, and I told him my whole story, man, I, I can't seem to get a major gift job because I don't have major gift fundraising experience, but I can't get the job if I don't have the experience, blah, 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 blah. Uh, so, so Ross calls me maybe a month later. Hey, I not only have one major gift position at UCLA, I have two. And the deputy was calling me. I'm going to get one of these jobs, right? Well, I not only fail once, I failed twice at UCLA. So now I'm really like quitting the biz. I'm going to follow in my dad's footsteps, go sell insurance, live happily ever after. Like I'll never make it. I'm a failure. Um, so then fast forward, I get the major gift position at Cal. 
Ross hired me later at Ole Miss, so we've uh, mended fences there, and we like to joke about <laughs> it. Now, Ross is like a big brother to me. He's he's one of my greatest mentors, and and literally like a big brother. So he's family. Um, so we have mended fences. But I get the job at Cal, um, and and I'm at so so Berkeley and San Jose are about 45 minutes apart. Um, and so my my family was still in San Jose. My grandma was now living with my mom. And so for the next five months, I'm going home probably once a month, mainly to do laundry, but to see the family and to hang out. Um, and, and so I got back what I had missed for 11 years of birthdays and Easter and Mother's Day and all that. Um, well, five months into living in and working at Cal, my grandma passes away. And, and that was the first time in my life that it clicked, everything happens for a reason. Like it, up, up until that point, it hadn't made sense. Older people say, oh, it happens for a reason. I'm like, yeah, whatever, you're just making me feel better. But it didn't make sense as to why I wasn't supposed to be in, in state college or why I wasn't even supposed to be in LA, which is a five hour drive, one hour flight. But it wasn't the 45 minute drive I had. And those five months I got to spend with my grandma before she passed. Ever since then, I've promised you, look, I'm competitive and I want every job I go for and I give it all I have. And, and it might sting when I don't get it, but I know for a reason. And when I land where I'm supposed to land, it's all gonna make sense. It's all gonna make sense. And now that I'm trying to be an AD and I've, I've failed a couple of times, I haven't gotten a couple of jobs, I've fallen short. I know it's for a reason. I know it's for a reason. And when I get the job that I'm supposed to be at, it's all going to make sense. So for what it's worth. And Mark, right before, you know, I'm glad that you had this quality time with your grandmother because before you hadn't been back here in a while, it's an hour and 45 minutes between Berkeley and and the Silicon Valley right now. So you're right. 45 minutes without traffic, which there's never no traffic. Yeah, in the LeBron helicopter, right? Right, right. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Now, ladies, the real question is uh, being a former college athlete, in my mind, I'm still like, Facebook reminds me of my peak performance of working out four hours a day and my competitive nature and just, you know, the limbs were moving, right? So the real question is, have either of you had to lace them up to put some <laughs> of these athletes back where they need to go? Have you had to lace them up and let them know I still got it? No, these, <laughs> these young women here would run me off the court. Um, I'm so afraid of popping an Achilles. Like I've done an ACL, like that doesn't scare me. The Achilles is the one that scares me. So I won't, I, um, I retired officially probably two, two winters ago was playing in a, a rec league. This is when I was back at Maryland um, and people were getting a little too serious. It was like a faculty staff rec league. And so dining services, their team got a little too into it. I'm like, look, we still have to work with these people. Like, so let's, let's, let's chill out a little bit. So it got a little too heated. And that was my last experience playing and uh, laced or put, put the shoes away ever since. And um, just supporting from the sidelines from here on out. I will add, I, I was lucky to never have an injury during my playing career, but uh, on, uh, I think it was January 29th, uh, 2016, I did tear my Achilles. So I was playing <laughs> intramural basketball when I was at the University of Georgia. I didn't even want to play, but I had been invited by one of my colleagues. I was trying to create camaraderie within the staff, um, get people to, you know, get, get, bring people together. So I played a sport. I hate intramural because again, you always have a wannabe Michael Jordan thinking he's yep. special and then boom, next thing you know, you're missing your two front teeth. So I didn't want to play, but I thought this will bring Brad and I closer together. Uh, so I played and, and routine baseline jumper, go up and pop. It just went out. And so I tore my Achilles, but you know what? I think it was a blessing in disguise. I was working myself silly and I wasn't going to survive. That the pace I was going, I was not going to survive. And so I needed some, some divine intervention to come in and say, hey, slow it down. Um, so it did. It, it, it stopped me in my tracks and, and made me realize, okay, I am human. And, uh, and, and while I love work and I, I am probably a workaholic, 
maybe I need to slow down a little bit. Um, but it also allowed me um, to connect with student athletes. So that same year, um, I, if you know the name Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb, who are stars in the NFL right now, they both tore their ACLs that year. Um, and they were in rehab with me. So, you know, we, we could um, cheer each other on and I could show them that, hey, hey, if I can do it, y'all can do it. Um, so it, it, it unified us in, in a way that I wasn't expecting, um, including the staff, because they came to my rescue uh, when I needed them. But um, yeah, that was, I don't lace it up either. I might play a slow pitch game, but I'm definitely not playing basketball. <laughs> As, okay, as I someone. shouldn't say this, but um, before COVID, I was in three runs a week. Um, I sat on the bench at American University, non-scholarship, who uh, I can still bust it from behind the line. And every time we're playing with guys, I don't play in an over whatever league. I play in an under uh, whatever league. And it was like, I got the old guy. And I got the old guy got your that's what you got. And then when you put your butt into somebody, in, in, like, hey, man, that's a foul. No, that's called boxing out, you a-hole. Don't you know how to play basketball? And you're 0 for 13 from behind the arc. Why are you shooting the ball? So I shouldn't have said that. It's probably bad luck. I found a schoolyard in my community now that haven't tied off the nets and haven't taken away the rim. So I'm out there in Los Altos. I'll be out there. In 45 minutes, banging it, um, and I'm lucky. I'm better, very, you very lucky. better you than me. I was I was gonna say, Andy, uh, for for someone who was injured quite probably too much um, uh, as as a student athlete, uh, I envy the the no injuries. Um, but I think part of that is just plain absolute luck. I mean, it happens. Um, uh, I have three children, all played sports through college. My wife is the least athletic person in the family. She's had four times as many surgeries as us combined. Wow. Um, I mean, she's a serial walker and does a whole lot of other things, but go figure, right? But, but to Monica's point, I think there's a lot of life lessons to be had out of any injury you have and any um, circumstance you go through, whether it's as serious as an Achilles or or even just uh, something you're you're working through on a daily basis, right? Just um, at different ailments. But uh, I think we should transition to the rapid fire to wrap up this episode. I know it's Laura's favorite part. Um, Andy will definitely have some trivia. Uh, and as I throw out the first question, um, just going off of the sports theme, Kristen, we know you played basketball, Monica softball, but if there was a different sport you could have played as a college student athlete, what would it have been? Volleyball. <laughs> okay, so I don't tell quick stories. I'm sorry. I know this is rapid fire. <laughs> One more answer. So One I, more I thought it was rapid fire. I mean, I can expound, but. But I have to share. I, I'm a sharer. I'm sorry. But beach volleyball wasn't around when I was in college. But if it was, I get to oversee beach volleyball here. And I love it. And I played indoor. I played club volleyball for many years. And and I just think I would have been a better beach player. So, okay. <laughs> This has already gone to be by far my favorite series. Just be, I mean, you guys are just, ugh, just playing in Monica, you know, you competing with recovery with Nick Chubb as a Cleveland fan, you know, whatever you did, I said, look, whatever you did, thank you. Cause he came, thank you. Okay. <laughs> you know, both of y'all wanting to get on the courts volleyball. Um, it's like, it's like, this is my favorite one, Jake. This is, this is my favorite one. Um, so, so Kristen, whose ankles did you break? Ooh. You break. At which point in my career? At whatever you want. Whatever you want. <laughs> Does breaking my own ankles count? No, that's not I'm, yours. That's so I had in my playing ability, breaking my own ankles. No, no, that's not. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Uh, there was probably somebody in high school, probably a high school rival whose ankles I broke. Yes, I actually remember um, the <laughs> film now. Um, I believe it was my junior year, just coming down on a fast break. Um, got a little crossover, went left. Um, one of my, my brother's high school coach was like a good family friend of ours, continues to remind me of that one move to this day. So, yes. I knew you had it. And Kristen, real, real quick, where'd you grow up and where did you play undergrad? 
uh, Rockford, Illinois, which if you've seen A League of Their Own, the Rockford Peaches, that's my Rockford. Um, it's about an hour outside of Chicago and then undergrad Northern Illinois. You said you didn't have a fun fact. That's a fun fact right there. Rockford. Oh, the League of Their Own? Yeah. Oh, I tell that one all the time. So that one's not wow. really a fun fact to me. <laughs> fun I fact think. for everyone else. Yes. Laura, Laura you got a rapid fire? Yes, rapid fire. This is probably the toughest question you will have to answer today, okay? Are you a Doritos or a Lay's original person? Doritos. Lay's original. Andy, can, Andy, Andy. can answer the tiebreaker. I'm a Lay's guy. <laughs> Lay's, Lay's wins it. Lay's wins it. Any day Andy, trivia for, trivia for the episode? Uh, trivia for the episode, um, exactly to the person, how many graduates are there from the Ohio University Sports Management Program? I've been asking Kaler and everybody. And you like, know the answer? Around. I don't want a round. I want the specific number as of today. There's so many variables. So anybody there, come on. Is that on campus only? Does that include the PMSAs? Does that include MSAs? Like, that's do anybody who has a document that has graduated that says they graduated, not people that are on today. And any aspect of the program, any aspect of the program. And do you know the answer to this question? I do not. I just oh. know that they're the Northern <laughs> Illinois Huskies, right? The unanswerable Huskies. 20. Right? The Huskies, the Huskies huh? that's right. 76. I don't know the answer, and they keep giving me some BS. That's a research project. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like Doc K can do that. I think he well, I think he should be. And what I've told them is here's another project that I think really would be spectacular to list the jobs that everyone has had who's graduated from the program. Could you imagine that list? That would That's be amazing. Uh, back to our point about networking and or and speaking to people. Can you imagine the power of that engine? Holy moly. Well, just when we get the alumni directory every year and just thumbing through that and looking at the names of people who have gone through the program. I mean, it's it's unbelievable and it's it's humbling to know that I've been a small part of it. Yeah, I see it, Monica. And it's global. And it's global. Now right in that drawer for any time a student athlete comes in, I'm like, I use it all the time. Um, Everybody keeps it in their drawer. You'd say the like, if you can't reach out and grab this with an arm, you got a problem, right? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. I got, I got one last rapid fire to, to wrap up your favorite memory. And I know Kristen, you were on the, you were on the PMSA side, but I know you still visited Athens at one point or another or multiple times, but your favorite memory from Athens, lesson learned, place, food, it doesn't matter, lesson something. Learned. 21 Ludlow, for, for those of you watching and listening, Google map 21 Ludlow, that's where I lived and Cindy and Melissa, and the class would always come over and just, you know, the people, it always comes down to the people. It always comes down to those relationships and how close we were as a class. So 21 Ludlow is in the house. I would say, honestly, just anytime our, our class was together. So being the PMSA, you were only um, physically in Athens probably four or five times throughout the two years of the program. So um, anytime that our, our group was together and my core group, there were six of us that were super close and still close to this day. So we had a good time anytime we were together. I know my group, me from my class buzzed off today. So, I mean, there's, <laughs> there's always something going on. Someone now it's like children and engagements and all that. So that I, we can wait on that one. Right. I think for, for all it's of happening. us, it's coming, Jake. But, it's happening. Yes, you wait. One, there'll be one season, Jake, where quite literally every person in your class is getting married, engaged, or having a baby, and you have to fly all over the world because, as Kayler says, there are only a few things that you can never miss weddings, babies, and something else. I missed yeah, my wedding. favorite. My, first, my favorite was coming up Court Street in 1971 
after Kent State riots, the National Guard were eight feet from each other. Um, and I was uh, tear gassed next to Mike Schmidt, a Hall of Famer, Mike Schmidt. Um, what's the name of the place I lived in? Bromley. I think that was the name, if I'm pulling it out. And their fraternity, I mean, he was like all everything, but I didn't know he was going to be a Hall of Fame baseball player. We both went down when a volley of tear gas and school was closed. The next day, everybody had to leave campus. That was the scariest time uh, that I've ever been through. Wow. You just, Andy, every time I have a conversation with Andy, I quite literally learn something new about him or about life, about something like so much knowledge there. What, what's, uh, and, and I know we want to wrap up, but what was it like the first time going back to Athens or even Kristen, when the first time you went to Athens and realized you could quite literally buy an entire room of shots for like, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was a little thrown off by that. And some of my uh, classmates, I won't say any names, but they relived their collegiate experience uh, being back in Athens for the first time and every subsequent time after that. And um, their poor wives, I'm not sure what shape they went back home to when they left Athens, but they had a great time. Great time. I love it. I can I love only it. say since I came from New York, they wanted me to buy shots when I came the first day. Like you're from New York, you got to be rich. Like, what are you talking about? You got shots for me. I don't have that. I love uh, it. No, I just remember the 11 hours I had to drive to Syracuse University when I was trying to convince my wife of 47 years to marry me because she was at Syracuse. Athens to Syracuse, that's a wonderful drive. <laughs> I bet. But it was worth it. It was absolutely worth it. Absolutely. All right, Monica, I'm giving you the test. A one word answer, a one word okay. answer. You can do the final, it. The final question. <laughs> you can do it. What the Ohio Bobcats mean to you? Everything. Kristen? Opportunity. Andy? Family. All right, that's a wrap. Um, appreciate it. Monica, Kristen, really enjoyed the insights, the different stories, um, the lessons learned, and certainly uh, look forward to which, whichever path uh, leads you down the next road. Thank you again for being part of our Ohio University Sports Administration Series, Life After Court Street. Well, 